Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. Most consumers are familiar with EPA and DHA, but what about ALA, SDA, or GLA? My next guest says all omega fatty acids have an important role to play, and the omega industry is missing out on a major opportunity. Joining me now is Andrew Hubbard, founder and CEO of Nature's Crops International. Hi, Andrew, and welcome back to the NutraCast. Hi, Danielle. Thanks so much for having me. Great to, great to be chatting with you again. Yes, it's so great to to be chatting with you as well. Uh, before I hit record, we were just talking about our, how we're recovering from Supply Side West. How are you feeling? Good. Uh, yeah, very good. It was it was a very busy show. A lot of interest. I always I go there energized and come back quite energized, and then I go into a little bit of a decline brought on by red eye flights and and exhaustion and that sort of thing. But thankfully, I think we had a 60% success rate on on people not coming down with illnesses. (laughs) So so some of us were were victims. Fortunately, I wasn't. Uh, And it was a a great show. There was a lot of of energy. And uh, I think genuinely a lot of positivity about the industry after you know a couple of challenging years with covid and you know economic uncertainty and that sort of thing so pretty pretty good actually i think it was a great a great event good yeah you and i were also talking like i was telling you how you know you you try to go to the bathroom but you get 10 feet and then you know someone finds you and then you get another 10 feet and so i didn't make it quite to all the booths that i wanted to and you said that it was a lot like speed dating and i I couldn't think of a better analogy yeah it was you know you're trying to you get so many inquiries there and of course there's the there's the protocol of exchanging business cards and, and information but there's also the one of not wanting to have a queue of 10 people waiting to chat to you so it's it's balancing the capturing the opportunity with being respectful that people have traveled a long way and spent a lot of money to come there. And um, so my, t- my team always does a phenomenal job at these shows and they did a great job. We captured a lot of leads and um, I just genuinely thought this was probably the most impactful show that we've been to just from the amount of interest that we're generating you know, a lot of times in the past, it's like, oh, what's this? Tell me about this. And now it was, oh, we read about you guys. We've heard about you guys and we wanted to come and learn more about it. So that was a big, you know, that was kind of a big change for us. And, and uh, we were quite excited about that. Yes. So plant-based omegas are certainly generating a lot of interest. Let's dig into that. You say it's increasingly clear that a large swath of the omega industry is missing the point and the opportunity about what the consumer wants and expects from omega-3 nutrition. Can you sort of explain what you mean by that, Andrew? Yeah. So as an ingredient supplier with our ahi flour, we really try to learn about our current and hopefully future potential customers and how we can meet them where they are. So we get out and talk to them, uh, we review their testimonials, we really try to ask good questions. And broadly speaking, if we look at our findings, they very much align with what has been published or in trade data or studies to date. And that is that consumers have overall a high positive association between omega-3 consumption and improved health outcomes. So that's a great starting point. Um, There's also a good recognition, a strong recognition that dietary intake, their dietary intake is either insufficient, deficient or imbalanced. 
and therefore some form of supplementation or fortification is needed or would be beneficial. And many are looking for a solution that addresses their omega nutrition at a, at a holistic or whole of body approach versus a condition specific approach. So eating and taking in a diet to avoid or avert a condition versus to treat a condition, I think is an important factor there. And also finding a solution that doesn't come with a perceived negative such as sensory or sustainability or dietary restrictions, et cetera. And probably the one area that we've really honed in on, and I think most importantly from a consumer perspective, is that many are looking for something that delivers experiential results. And by that, I would say, does it help me look well, move well, or feel well? And I think this is the piece of the market. Now, if we talk about where, where are we missing this, in, in our opinion, it's that piece that is currently being underserved. The condition-specific market is, is very important and, of course, has many overlaps with other sectors and currently is largely dominated by EPA, DHA and concentrates. And to a certain extent, GLA, as you mentioned, from Evening Primrose and, and Borage. And, of course, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there's an important and large consumer group where the emphasis is looking to take a plant-based broad spectrum omega for all-round health and wellness, again, to make me look well, feel well and move well. And I think that really speaks to the importance of getting a balance of omegas in the diet for overall health and sort of wellness nutrition. And I guess this, this isn't the best analogy, but it's a little bit of like me as a child being force fed cod liver oil or eating flax or chia <laughs> seeds. It, it, I wasn't taking it for a specific condition. I was forced it because it was generally good for all round health. And rest assured, I had plenty of issues as a kid, but uh, cod liver oil wasn't going to sort them out. Um, <laughs> and, and then, you know, going back to the sort of, I suppose, something more evidence based, market evidence based, a lot of the market commentary I read is still that about 80% of people in the Western, you know, on Western diets are experiencing diets that are either insufficient, deficient, or imbalanced in omega 3s. So that tells you really that there is this big opportunity out there. And what we're trying to do, as I said, is meet consumers where they are and learn about what it's going to take to unlock that. Yeah. So I guess what would you want consumers to know about plant-based omega-3s like ALA and SDA? Well, I suppose the, the, at the very top of my wish list would be that there is uh, kind of ubiquitous knowledge and acceptance that they are absolutely relevant as alternatives to fish oil. And specifically, that dietary steroidonic acid or SDA can deliver adequate EPA and DHA accrual in healthy adults to meet daily requirements and also offer those experiential benefits that I talked about, you know, that, that you would experience from taking omegas. So when we talk about looking well, we're talking about skin health predominantly, brightness, sheen, luster and, of course, hair and nails as well. Feel well, we're talking about gut health, immune health and cognition. And of course, moving well, we're talking about joint health and post-exercise recovery largely. So that's that's one thing that I think consumers would be our wish list is that consumers start to see that. And they certainly are, but there's still the science is still emerging around that area. And also that the metabolism of ALA and SDA in Ahi flour through to EPA and DHA 
can produce additional health benefits that you wouldn't achieve from taking straight EPA and DHA alone. They offer these sort of intermediate metabolites, which I'll speak to in, in, you know, uh, further on in the conversation. And they also offer a genuine solution to consumers that are looking for a regenerative plant-based and scientifically proven omega sort of nutritional solution. And when you talk about conversion rates, do consumers understand that or how do you break that down? Because even as a writer who should know about some of this stuff, I still find a lot of it confusing. Yeah, I, I think it really is confusing and I don't think consumers necessarily understand it. And I, and I don't think consumers necessarily want to understand it. I think one of the biggest challenges we've faced and opportunities that we see is to overcome this somewhat, it's a dated mindset now, which is humans are inefficient, are innately inefficient at converting plant-based omegas to EPA and DHA. We know that's not true. There's so much evidence around us. There's so much science now to show that's not you know, correct. And that we, another way of looking at it is that we actually are efficient to the level that we need to be efficient, that our bodies dictate that we need to be, you know, converting these precursor omegas through to pre, well, to, to long chain fatty acids like EPA and DHA. So I think there is there is a lot of confusion and we try to break that down. You know, if you said, how do you try to educate the consumer on these complex topics? I actually think that the consumer that genuinely wants to know about omega nutrition probably already knows as much as they want to. And despite trying to keep current with the science, in many cases, they still sort of struggle with keeping up with science that is continually evolving and these conflicting messages, which you only have to Google omega-3s and ALA and flaxseed oil, etc. And you'll see all sorts of commentary on the web about levels of efficiency, inefficiency, uh, what fatty acids they convert to, etc. So, you know, I actually think, and the more we talk to consumers and get their opinions, I actually think the education should be on answering the question, what can I expect from taking ahi flour? And what would I or what should I experience from taking it versus how efficient is this metabolic pathway or which is this, which is the rate limiting enzymatic step? I think it's far better to talk about the benefits of improved omega nutrition and differentiate between what you would expect to see from a condition-specific targeted supplement versus a broad-spectrum supplement. And the overall benefit that you would get from either rebalancing our fat intake or enhancing our omega-3 intake. You know, an example that I'd give you is that I consider myself reasonably well-informed about nutrition and nutrients. I have a smidgen of science knowledge about nutrition and health. It's pretty basic, as you can tell. Um, but take me into the realms of vitamins and proteins and what they do and where they come from. I'll, I'll give you a blank stare. And I'm reasonably well read in that area. So I think trying to expect consumers to become experts or knowledgeable about omega-3 metabolism is, is a stretch. And again, we should sort of focus on what would you experience? What should you expect from a supplement? So again, coming back to that sort of experiential results and observations. 
Right. So you're hoping to encourage the industry to recognize that ALA, SDA, ETA, EPA, DHA, and GLA all have important roles to play. What are some of those roles that you're hoping to get out there? You know, there's a big gamut there of of three-letter acronyms, and I would sort of put them all into this. It's a broad-spectrum bucket of omegas all play important roles as both precursors and metabolites. And they're really giving the body a broader toolkit or an input base from which to work from and perform the key functions that are associated with omega-3s, for example, inflammation management, immune function, and what have you. But at a specific level, if we look, for example, at stearidonic acid or SDA, when taken in the form of ahi flour, that has a powerful anti-neuroinflammatory effect, which is greater than EPA and DHA in microglial cells, which are the immune cells in our central nervous system. So that's a very specific mode of action uh, linked to SDA. Uh, GLA that we talked about, uh, gamma-linolenic acid and its metabolite DGLA, are the only recognized omega-6 fatty acids with anti-inflammatory properties and are widely associated with skin health and hormonal balance and are not typically found outside of the plant kingdom you know they would they would be um sort of long chain fatty acids found in a few plant species like evening primrose borage and uh, ahi flower and then each of them in their own right as metabolites they can produce these important anti-inflammatory oxylipin precursors when they're metabolized and then ala and sda This is, I think, a really important feature of plant-based omegas. ALA and SDA, when ingested, can act as an important reservoir of omega-3s in the human body when they're stored in adipose tissue and liver tissue. And they're stored there until they're needed and used at levels that our bodies determine relevant to our unique situational needs for metabolism to longer chain, more highly unsaturated omega-3s. Um, and then, of course, there's EPA and DHA, which have got you know, very well documented and proven benefits in areas such as inflammation management and blood triglyceride management, amongst other things. Yeah, there's so much information to take in. And I'm just wondering, you know, based on the research, what stands out to you the most? So, you know, that's a good question. And there's I think there's 40,000 plus papers published. Um, on the benefits of omega-3s, and I think all of them have a role to play. If I look at this sort of broad spectrum about um, their unique benefits and the fact that I don't think it should be a binary decision, it's either this or that, or a competitive situation, which is this is better than that. I think they all have a role to play, and I, I think the fact that humans are very good at metabolizing precursor omega-3s to sort of these longer chain that we talk about epa and dha and that that produces unique health benefits in of itself i think that is probably where the industry is seeing the biggest change right now if i had to talk about impact and importance it's that for 40 or 50 years we really have been sort of under this science uh, umbrella that says humans are innately inefficient at converting ALA and SDA to EPA and DHA. 
and therefore for maximum benefit take a marina source or an algal source and i think that now is is a it's a very hard statement to stand behind scientifically and that we are seeing particularly from consumers saying actually i can i can take a plant-based uh, omega and i'm not compromising the health outcomes that you know i thought i may have done a few years ago mm-hmm. and so looking at the market in terms of supply and demand and I mean, what are you seeing out there? What's the outlook? Well, if I step back from it and look at the total industry and just talk about the current situation first and talk a little bit about the outlook, I think when we have an industry with such, again, this is this is our opinion, but when we talk about 80% of the Western diet being uh, you know, insufficient or deficient in omega-3s, I have to classify that as we're looking at a at an industry with a very large untapped or latent opportunity and demand potential that is currently supported by a finite natural resource that has inherent risks and vulnerabilities. Uh, I think with that in mind, it's 100% inevitable that supply challenges will always be a consideration. And whether that is as a result of fisheries opening and closing, whether it's price volatility, which usually is in, up, in, in an upward direction, supply interruptions, all of those things supporting what is a multi-billion dollar industry. I think the industry is going to demand that we do better as suppliers. I think it's going to say you have to do better. I've got fatigue of supply interruptions, price increases not knowing whether I'm going to have a raw material or not to work with. I think I think that is going to put pressure on the industry to do better from a supply point of view. And when you have this significant untapped demand, we're not going to see that met from the oceans. I, it just can't meet that demand increase that I think is out there. And it's a little bit like an inverted pyramid that we have a small basket of species of small oily fish carrying nearly the entire weight of that industry. It's a little bit like Atlas carrying the weight of the earth on his shoulders. So plant and algal sources, I think undoubtedly will continue to grow, uh, not grow as a crop, but grow in terms of the volume that, uh, of the market that they supply. And with that, economies of scale will see further price reductions in that category and price stability. So if I look at price stability of our uh, ahi flour plant derived ingredients you know, we haven't seen price changes for prior four or five years at the farm gate level now of course we've seen it at logistics levels and packaging costs and that sort of thing but in terms of the economics of growing the crop is very stable um unlike you know other crops or or sources that are much more sort of vulnerable to you know sort of price uh, issues that impact price we say and i also think that consumers are realizing that they can achieve the same or better health benefits if they opt for plant-based versus marine-based ingredients. And that will result in a natural gravitational pull towards plants. And therefore, that demand will be met by increasing supply. So I would say as a forecast, we see the category increasing in demand and size. And I think that growth is going to be disproportionately met by plant-based sources. Fish will undoubtedly 
continue to play an important role in omegas for the foreseeable future. But I think it will struggle being a finite supply, finite source. I think it will struggle to really tap that on that latent demand that we see there, which I think will come from plant-based sources. Yeah, and speaking of demand, a lot of consumers are demanding sustainable sources. Is that something that you see playing a role as well? Yeah, I, I do. You know, sustainability is is a key question for many people. I mean, as as we all know, sustainability is being used to greenwash in many situations where people aren't yeah. necessarily digging into the supply chain and saying, well, you tell me it's sustainable. What does that really mean? And I think there's going to be more focus on what, what does that mean? Prove that to me. We're very proud that we're looking at regenerative agriculture and a regenerative supply chain. Again, I think it's a very fair question to say, well, what does that mean? And because we grow all of our own crops, we can actually take people to field to say this is what regenerative agriculture looks like maybe compared to conventional agriculture so sustainability is a driver i don't think it's the lead driver i think the lead driver is still what will this do for me as a consumer what's the what experience should i get from taking this product and then the sustainability the sensory the dietary restrictions, depending on you know whether you're a vegetarian, etc., all are supporting actors in that play. But the lead, the lead role is show me the benefits. If I'm committing mm-hmm. to a monthly regime of supplements, and that's costing me anywhere, I guess, from twenty dollars to forty dollars, maybe more than that. You know, there's an expectancy that I want to see the benefits. I want to feel the benefits, and um, that's what really really, really excites me probably more than anything is going to shows where there's consumers, I, I love this piece, going to a show, a consumer show, talking to customers about Omegas, giving them material and saying, could you just let me know how you feel in a month or two months time and getting back their testimonials. And, you know, there's there's no selling involved. It's just genuinely, it's a, it's a, it's a gift, and in exchange for that, I'm asking you to tell me how you feel. I, I was at a show in the UK, and I say we were handing out Ahi Flower capsules, and I said, look, uh, uh, bottles of Ahi Flower capsules, please just let me know how you get on with it, because I love hearing. I, it's so important to us to make sure that we are providing benefits to the consumers. We don't sell to the consumers. We sell to our, you know, our wonderful brand partners. But I really like to hear what the consumers uh, say. So when you get a, a an email back and the message was along the lines of it's really it has really, really transformed my dietary thoughts and habits. And I saw an improvement in my skin. health. My skin health was the first thing I noticed and went on to talk about sort of general health and wellness. And those are the sort of things that just make us feel. Yeah, this is really good. We're we're we've we're, we're providing valuable solutions to consumers. I love that. Show me the benefits, right? <laughs> show me show me the benefits. Abs- absolutely. What will it what will it do for me? And um you're trying to get people to turn a successful supplement isn't one that people take for a month. It's one that people take for as a lifestyle and they become very passionate, very loyal about that brand and that product and they become like auto renewal purchases and they tell their friends they tell their family about it they say this really works and and that's what we're really trying to dial in on people saying this really works and i'm happy to uh for my testimonials to be used in your 
education or training or promotional work, whatever that is, um, because then you feel that you're 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 delivering value. And at the end of the day, I think that's what we're all all trying to do, just to deliver value from our chosen products or our chosen careers. Definitely. Earlier this year, you conducted a survey of brands asking what has been the principal barrier to adopting ahi flour. What were some of those key takeaways? So I often go back and study this and just sort of think about what what have we learned from this? And I'm, as my team will always say, Andrew says, ask good questions. And I try to make sure that we always ask good questions and, and you know get meaningful input, meaningful feedback from them. And I think I can distill down the responses into two key learnings. And the first one, and I'll sort of obviously paraphrase these a little bit, but the first category of feedback was that, uh, and this is the voice of a brand speaking now to us, that our omega-3 category is doing okay. It requires low maintenance. It doesn't require a lot of marketing spend, doesn't need a lot of innovation delivers solid returns, and therefore, if it ain't broke, let's not try and fix it. Because if we try to fix it, the solution might actually confuse our customers and contradict other messaging about other products. So all we might achieve is switching one of our existing customers from product A to product B. And therefore, we're not seeing sales growth. We're not seeing growth as a business. We're just reshuffling our own deck. And I think that was a large part of the response. Again, this sort of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do I, how do I, if I put myself in that, sh- that situation, it initially surprised me. But then again, I thought, well, adopting a conservative and a protective approach to an existing business is not a bad strategy. And I get it. So what we have to do as from our business is you say that's a barrier. It's a barrier and we have to ultimately overcome it. And I think the way we're going to do that is, again, through consumer awareness and these experiential results. And that's what we're starting to sort of see change that market. I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but it's certainly it's growing all the time. And if I was the owner of a of a, uh, a brand and had 100 or 200 SKUs of which Omegas were a handful of them, I absolutely understand the risk of it's low maintenance, it has a low marketing spend, doesn't need innovation, delivered solid returns. Why would, I, why would I upset that unless I could see this very compelling opportunity? But I think that's what we're going to see. I think this compelling opportunity is going to become more apparent. So that, that's one category. The second one is what I touched on earlier, which is SDA does not convert to DHA. And that metric is determined by when we look at blood plasma levels, so the omega-3 index. And it's, yep, take SDA. We don't see an increase in DHA as method measured by the omega-3 index. And our particular customers want DHA. So again, it's a very valid requirement and it's a very valid reason why not to sort of walk away from an EPA DHA offering in favor of something like Ahiflat. So as a solution to that, we partnered with our good friends at Algorithm to address this. And um, that was the really the genesis behind offering an Ahiflat plus Algor DHA solution. So, you know, we try to ask good questions. We try to be very responsive to those questions. 
But the, the flip side of that is is also that I should mention that the converse is true, that we are seeing a growing number of brands that have kept a very recent eye on omega-3 science and Ahiflaz conversion to EPA and DHA. And they are seeing parts of the supply chain that they say, this is broken and it needs to be fixed. And they are seeing this unmet market opportunity. So we're hugely appreciative to them for looking at Ahiflaz as their solution. And uh, you know, our, our pipeline is really quite exciting, actually, Danielle, for next year with, I think, you know, some brands that are seeing Ahiflower as a genuine addition to, not necessarily an alternative to, as a genuine addition to the Omega portfolio that we talked about. And I think that's an important way of looking at it as well, that it, it, it shouldn't be seen as it's either this or that, or this is better than that. I think we should look at it as an overall industry and say they they can all play an important role, particularly if we're talking about this sort of holistic, whole of body, broad spectrum approach to omega nutrition. Yeah, certainly. And you kind of hinted at it a little bit, but um, what's next? Any news updates or anything that you can tell us about that you're excited about? Yeah, so I really am. There's, There's some more science forthcoming later this year. And of course, that's all determined by when the manuscripts go for publication or accepted for publication. But uh, we've got three that we're expecting to see come out. Well, actually, in reality, it's going to be Q1 of next year, all substantiating Ahiflaz's contribution to this sort of delivering a look well, feel well, move well solution and benefits. And really hot off the heels of Supply Side West, we're seeing you know, sort of three, if I had to say, what were the three opportunity takeaways that I would get from the show? The first one is a lot of interest in food and beverage, either using the oil as an ingredient or the really great powdered product uh, manufactured by our good friends at CoreFX as an ingredient in functional foods and for sort of food fortification. So that's one area. The other one is, again, moving this sort of broad spectrum or complete and balanced omega nutrition about looking for whole of body approach nutrition rather than or in addition to condition specific and then lastly um i don't think anybody would argue with the fact that there's a lot of fish oil fatigue out there at the moment with supply interruptions supply volatility price volatility uh, put my false teeth back in, uh, price volatility, <laughs> etc. And, you know, so where we can say, look, we have a regeneratively grown product with great sensory, an assured supply ingredient with very, very solid price stability that can complement, not compete with, but complement or extend your current uh, Omega offering. I think it's really exciting because I I think we're all looking at this and saying it doesn't have to be this binary yes or no or either or. I think it's very much along the lines of they all actually play an important role. And again, taking whole body health, holistic approach to omega nutrition, I think people are starting to think yeah, that these different sources all play valuable roles in this industry. I do like this um, compliment, not compete message. We're going to leave it there. Show me the benefits, Nature's Crops International. Andrew Yard, thank you so much for joining me here on the NutriCast. 
Daniel, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. And just thanks to you and your team for always doing such a great job of, uh, of being a source of information and education and insight for our whole industry. If you like what you just heard, you could subscribe to the NutraCast wherever you get your podcast. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week.